the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn. We have an awesome show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be interviewing Professor David Kurtzer, has written a book about the Pope at War. We've been talking about this phenomena that the Catholic Church opened up finally, its archives of Pope Pius XII. And uh, <laughs> my grandmother used to say, his name should be obliterated. And we'll talk about that. Second half of the show, we'll be talking about the portion of Vaeschanan. We are doing a cappella music simply because the show gets posted while it's still within the three weeks, but the three weeks are over actually as of Monday, and so we'll be focusing on the aftermath of the three weeks. We've got a great Hasidic story. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Israeli forces captured the leader of Islamic Jihad in Jenin. As a precaution against retaliation, Israel closed the crossings between the West and Gaza into Israel. The IAF launched an offensive into Gaza called Operation Breaking Dawn. The purpose of the mission is to destroy Hamas and Islamic Jihad infrastructure. Police in Bethlehem arrested a man who was throwing Molotov cocktails at police. Police in Muncie, New York, arrested a teen for shooting an Orthodox man in the face with a gel gun. And finally, let's end on some good news, Israeli airlines were given permission to fly over Saudi airspace, cutting a flight to India, for example, by three hours. And that's the news. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on live Professor David Kurtzer. He is a professor of anthropology at Brown University. He has written a series of books about the various popes and World War II, Pope IX, Pope Pius IX, Pope Pius XII. This is the latest one, The Pope at War. A, it's a winner of a, a Pulitzer Prize, and uh, it's our honor and pleasure to have you. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay, so you have written more than one book about Pope Pius XII, who was the, the, the Pope at the time of World War II. And just as a little bit of background where I come from, uh, when I was growing up, if someone would say, because this is what we're talking still um, like the early 60s, mid-60s, if someone would say in the presence of my grandmother, the words, Pope Pius, she would spit on the ground and say, his name, his name be obliterated. So he obviously didn't get a lot of good press. So for our listening office, if you could uh, just tell us, what what was the whole deal with Pope Pius XII, and what was your interest that you wrote not that you've written several books about him? Well, I've been interested in the relationship between the uh, church and state in Italy, uh, and the role of Vatican in, in politics in in Italy, both nineteenth and twentieth century. So, if you're interested in in church or religion and politics in Italy, you're interested in the Vatican. Um, and, of course, World War II, there's been this controversy now for many decades about the silence of the Pope during the Holocaust, his failure ever to speak out against the ongoing Nazi attempts to exterminate the Jews of Europe. Uh, and they just opened, uh, after decades of pressure, the Vatican opened the archives uh, for the papacy of Pius XII, so including the uh, year, years of the war. Um, and I actually was hoping that uh, Pope Francis, as part of his drive for more transparency, would be opening those archives. So I had begun research on this book, uh, The Pope at War, several years ago in those archives that were already opened, the uh, fascist archives in Italy, the Italian state archives, but also the German archives, the British, French, American archives. So when they opened those archives, finally, uh, to great anticipation and a great uh, attention in the world press, in March uh, 2020, uh, I was kind of ready, and that was the last part of the research I needed to do for this book. So the question is, um, the great defenders of Pius XII, and there are many because he's a hero to the right wing of the Catholic Church because he was the last pope before the Second Vatican Council uh, that, among other things, ended the centuries of demonization of the Jews by the Church. And um, so there's a, a drive by conservatives in the church to make him a saint. 
Um, but uh, now we have uh, you know, even better evidence of exactly what was going on, what kind of advice he was getting, what people at the Vatican were saying behind the scenes about uh, pleas from Jews to, for the Pope to speak out and pleas from others too. So that's um, kind of my interest behind writing this book, which uh, just came out in June. Okay, understood. Okay, so um, when the, the news hit that they were declassifying the, these archives, so I tried to, because of the show, tried to get an official spokesperson first from the Detroit Archdiocese, and I tried calling the Cardinal's office in New York. I don't speak Italian or any of those other languages. I didn't try calling the Vatican, and I was duly in, ignored no, no response, no nothing. You know, I didn't even get past like secretary number one. What was the the? Um, this is, a, I guess, a two part question. Then, so is it normal for the Catholic Church to classify documents? And are there were there other documents? Are there's like some pope from three hundred years ago? We still don't know what he was doing. And why is it that? Or which this is, I suppose, conjecture. Would the Catholic Church not want to answer my phone call, David Kirby? Well, to the first question, you know, um, organizations is typical that they uh, wait a certain number of years before opening up their records. So in that sense, I don't think there's anything particularly conspiratorial about the fact that you know the day after uh, they don't make available uh, sensitive records of the U.S. Uh, government doesn't. Uh, you couldn't have a diplomatic service if it functioned that way, for example. Um, but unlike most states uh, and other organizations, which may have a, a set number of years, like a 50-year rule before they open up, uh, the Vatican has a different approach. It's up to the current pope to open the archives for the next papacy, whose papers are not yet opened. Uh, and so there had been uh, pressure uh, ever since the controversy over the silence of the Pope during the Holocaust arose, beginning really in the early 1960s. There's been pressure from Jewish organizations, but also from others, to open these archives. And uh, so in, in that sense, it's not um, that odd that they waited as many years as, as they did to open them, uh, despite being under considerable pressure. Uh, why they didn't have an answer to their uh, inquiries, I'm not quite sure. There's certainly, uh, although they've opened these archives, when my book came out, my book came out actually in Italy, the Italian edition, a couple of weeks before the American edition, so in late May of, of this year. And uh, the um, Vatican newspaper, the Servitore Romano, immediately devoted a full page to denouncing my book, uh, as did the um, daily newspaper of the Church Hierarchy of Italy. Uh, neither of which either the Vatican nor the Church Hierarchy of Italy is willing to admit to what actually <laughs> their behavior was during World War II. So uh, in that sense, in this eagerness to uh, confront this past, even though some of the, the Church, the Roman Catholic Church in, in France and Germany and elsewhere, has been willing to uh, confront and, and uh, seek pardon, as they put it, for their role during World War II. Okay, now, so you just... <laughs> My, my head just imploded with that. So you, they open up the archives. You go in. You read what it says in the archives. You write down on uh, in a computer, a piece of paper, whatever, what it says in the archives. You send it off to your publisher. They put it in a book. And the Catholic Church says it's not true? Yes, well, yeah, they're different <laughs> 
ways in which they go about this. They uh, will say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so back in you know, 1949 congratulated the Pope as the great savior of Jews, and uh, so-and-so, who is Jewish, said this Pope saved hundreds of thousands of lives, and you didn't discuss that. <laughs> of course, from a historian's point of view, it's not evidence of anything. Um, so it's kind of a changing the subject um, and also, I think, misrepresenting my book. Uh, for example, I discovered one of the more shocking things I discovered is that uh, within weeks of uh, Pius XII becoming pope, which was early 1939, Hitler saw an opportunity. Hitler hadn't been happy with the previous pope who had been criticizing Germany for its treatment of the church. And um, so he sent a this kind of secret emissary, a Nazi prince, uh, who was also the son-in-law of the Italian king, uh, in a cloak-and-dagger fashion to begin negotiations with the pope. The pope, for his part, amazingly, kept a German uh, priest nearby hiding who wrote down their conversations, conversations he had with Hitler's emissary over the next uh, couple of years. And those documents are now found in his open archives. So I I wrote this up and quoted at length from these conversations between Hitler's emissary and the Pope, the secret conversations. And in the Vatican newspaper, they said, oh, this was all known. Well, in fact, it wasn't known. So it was this kind of misrepresentation as well, unfortunately. Okay, that's amazing. Our guest today is David Kurzweil, Kurz, excuse me, David Kurtzer. He's written a book called The Pope at War, Pope Pius XII and what his responsibility was or lack of responsibility that he did during World War II and saving, I thought, even the Catholic Church and, uh, and Jews in Rome. Was the anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitic dogma of the Catholic Church up to that point, do you think that had a big factor in the way Pope Pius XII handled this whole, his whole scenario? Well, you know, there were certainly quite negative views toward Jews in the Vatican and that the Pope would have shared. I don't think that was the primary motivation for his silence in the Holocaust. I think, uh, first of all, in the first years of the war, he uh, thought, as many did for good reason, that Hitler was going to win the war. So his priority from his point of view was protecting the church in a Europe that was dominated by Hitler and his pal Mussolini. So he didn't want to do anything to uh, alienate either of them. Uh, then later in the war, of course, in, in beginning um, in the fall of 1943, the Germans occupied Rome. And so uh, he, the Pope was eager to maintain good relations with the German military to protect the Vatican. So when the Jews, for example, were rounded up by the SS on October 16th, 1943 in Rome and held for just outside the walls of the Vatican, and the Pope was under great pressure to say something, he Demurred, uh, he wouldn't speak out against against him. And, and two days later, the uh, thousand Jews were put on a train and sent to their death at Auschwitz. Um, so that was the context of the, the German uh, military occupying Rome and much of Italy. And then later in the war, as uh, it was became clear that no, the Allies were likely to win the war. Uh, the Allies, of course, uh, included not only Britain and the U.S. but also Soviet Union. Now the Pope was fearful that if there was a total collapse of Germany, it would result in a communism sweeping through all of Europe. So he was eager to uh, prevent, he was, he'd like, wanted to 
arrange some kind of compromise peace that the Allies were rejecting. The Allies were saying, oh, the unconditional surrender by the uh, Germans that would do. So you know, this is this were his highest priorities. So what he was interested in, and where they had a huge effort in the Secretary of State Office of the Vatican, is to protect baptized Jews. So when the Vatican talks about trying to save Jews, actually, um, in 95% of the cases, what they're talking about are baptized Jews or uh, Christians who had been descended from Jews and therefore regarded by the Nazis as Jews and, and uh, subject to persecution. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Okay, so now you went to you went to Rome, and how did the librarians look at you? As did you look at look at you as some sort of like interloper or some kind of uh, a spy or or you know, were you treated as a a researcher historian? What was the relationship with the present day Vatican, David Kurtzer? Well, the. Um it's you know the archives, there are various archives of that. There's also Vatican Library, but uh, these records are actually archival records in the uh, Vatican archives, and, and there are a number of different archives of the Vatican that I worked in for this. Um, and there are different archivists. That, you know, also when one talks about the Vatican, it turns out it's a pretty heterogeneous place, as so there are people uh, there I find who are quite hostile, but they're also those quite sympathetic. So. For example, I've just spent this, this past spring in working in the Vatican archives on, on follow-up to the book, and uh, a couple of the archivists there, would senior archivists, would come up to me and tell me they've read my books or other publications and uh, found them you know, useful and, and uh, share with me basically a similar analysis to my own analysis. But um, in most cases, they're not willing to talk about that publicly because uh, basically, they, they could get in trouble, as it's that the official narrative of the church that they're still supporting is uh, one that can't really be supported by the evidence in the archives. Oh, you're actually opening up a whole big can over here. I'm not going to say of worms because it's bigger than worms. It might be snakes even. the the uh, The story that the Vatican is now trying to to to, to tell us that is telling its followers this is what you have to believe, and it's a very interesting thing that when the Pope says this is what you have to believe, so a, a billion Catholics believe it. So you're telling uh, – the, the narrative has not changed. In their eyes, the uh, Pope Pius XII should still be beautified and eventually canonized? Yes, well, that's uh, – certainly there's a major effort to do that. It's not clear to me what Pope Francis's position is. He, um, As I mentioned, the um, – Pius XII is a big darling of the right wing of the church, and of course, Pope Francis has had real trouble with the right wing of the church. Um, and uh, but he's only had good things to say about Pius XII. I don't think this is a battle he's particularly geared to get into with the conservatives in the church. At least that's my impression. Um, but it's part of a larger issue about the um, inability of the Vatican to come to terms with its centuries of demonization of Jews and especially in what role that played in making the Holocaust possible. So that, uh, as you may remember, back in the late 1990s, after 11 years of study, the Vatican Commission dealing with relations with the Jews came out with a statement, a declaration called We Remember. Uh, it's kind of preface or presentation. It was written by Pope John Paul II, who had commissioned the study, and it denied any response, said there, it denied there was any relationship between the demonization of the Jews by the church 
and the what they call modern anti-Semitism that made the Holocaust possible. But anyone who's actually Jews were being demonized by the Nazis and by the Italian fascists and by uh, others throughout Europe in the, in the 30s into the 40s knows that they heavily relied on the demonization of Jews by by the church to convince people uh, that the Jews were a danger to healthy Christian European society. Okay. Wow. I'm getting like, <laughs> if there's not, if double talk doesn't exist, this is, uh, this is it. So again, our guest today is David Kirsten. He's written a book called The Pope at War. What the Pope at the time of World War II, Pope Pius XII, what his, what he was doing, what he wasn't doing. The, um, the, the thing that fascinates me is that he was really against communism because communism professed atheism, but Nazism also professed atheism, and Hitler had his own religion and whatnot. So it's and when when uh, clerics in Poland and, and Central Europe were being slaughtered, and what was happening in France was being slaughtered. He also kept quiet, which is amazing. Yes, I mean, the one thing I think people don't realize when you talk about the silence of the Pope uh, during the war, initially it wasn't uh, those who were protesting a silence. It wasn't so much the Jews initially, but uh, World War II is normally dated with the German invasion of Poland, uh, September 1st, 1939. And as you mentioned, um, of course, Poland, although 10% of the population were, were Jewish, but 90% was uh, largely Roman Catholic, and among the, um, the people that uh, Hitler was most concerned about in uh, taking over Poland, especially Western Poland, that he wanted to annex to the Third Reich, were the uh, priests, because he saw the Catholic priests as leaders of Polish nationalism. So he had hundreds of them rounded up and sent to concentration camps. So they were um, pleased by the uh, Catholics in in Poland for the Pope to denounce the what was going on, and the Pope, uh, the Pope refused to do so. So it wasn't just to say silence with respect to the uh, Holocaust and, and the murder of the Jews, but uh, this as well. And uh, one thing I think people often don't quite understand is um, they tend to lump together the Church and the Vatican's attitude toward fascism and Mussolini with his attitude toward Hitler and the Nazis, but they were very, very different because... Um, Basically, the Vatican and the popes made a deal with uh, Mussolini that was in both their interests as they saw it, and the Italian fascist regime treated the church uh, with great respect and showered them with resources. Uh, but Hitler was a very different story, and uh, the popes certainly were no uh, friends of the Nazis and feared that the uh, Nazi regime was trying to limit the influence of the Catholic Church in Germany. But both Mussolini and Hitler knew how to intimidate the Pope, and so you know, that's if the Pope kept quiet about the depredations of the Nazis. It wasn't because he was a Nazi or sympathetic to Hitler, which he wasn't. It was for these other reasons. I'm amazed. I'm just blown away. I mean, I, I was blown away by the book, and I'm even more blown away by your uh, your insights into the book. So, my grandmother's attitude, my bubby's attitude towards Pope Pius XII, as we opened up, that he would, she would spit on the floor and say his name should be obliterated. So, from your research and your going through the archives, was Pope Pius XII 
Was he evil? Was he naive? Was he a diplomat? Was he afraid? What was he? Yes, and I certainly would not call him evil. Um, I think he was weak. Um, he, uh, what kind of bothers me most about the uh, his defenders is you know, portraying him as this courageous, great protector of Jews and so on, um, which is certainly not true. If instead they they simply said, look, uh, he was in a difficult situation in World War II. There was good reason to think the Nazis were to come to power. He felt he had a responsibility to protect the church. I mean, one can come up with a narrative to um, explain his action. But uh, what I think you can't do is uh, refer to him as a great moral leader, which he certainly, from my point of view, was not. And if uh, one sees the Pope as having that kind of responsibility in that, uh, I think he'd have to be judged a failure. In, indeed. So um, there, we have a little bit of time now. Oh, one more One major question. Let's actually have to wrap this up with this because we're running out of time. This is fascinating. I could devote the entire show to this. Do you think that there'll be any sort of apology from the Pope, he's been apologizing all over the place. Last week, he was in Canada apologizing to the the, the Native Americans uh, for the treatment by the Catholic Church back in the 70s. Do you think that such a thing might be uh, forthcoming, David Kurzer? It doesn't look like there's going to be any apology by the Pope or the Vatican. Um, but just uh, within the last couple of years, for example, the German uh, hierarchy of the Church, or the Roman Catholic Church, did issue an apology and uh, acknowledge the fact that the church hierarchy and the uh, priests of Germany had largely supported the war during the war, supported the troops, and uh, that they hadn't protested the Holocaust as it was happening. Uh, and what, uh, what the Vatican doesn't seem to want to recognize is who it was who was massacring all the Jews. And they were people who thought they were Christians. They didn't think they were pagans. Uh, and about half of them, roughly, were people who thought of themselves as Roman Catholic and presumably uh, recalled as they were murdering little Jewish children and so on uh, what their parish priests had taught them about the evil of Jews you know, when they were growing up. So, I mean, this, from my point of view, is the great responsibility of the Church, and of course not just the Roman Catholic Church, but Protestant churches as well, Lutheran Church in, in Germany, among others. So, um, you know, it would be, certainly from my point of view, uh, both as a scholar and as a Jew, uh, good if the church were willing to recognize this, um, but um, they show not much sign of doing so, either the Italian church or the Vatican itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not one for punditry, and I don't like conjecture, but had Pope Pius XII been strong and, ratified and, and rallied, I suppose at that point it was like, like 500 million Catholics, to say that what's going on in with the Nazis is wrong and stood up to them, do you think it would have had a, uh, a positive effect? Or maybe the outcome that Hitler would have just overrun the Vatican and that would have been the, the end of that? Well, I think it's hardly it's a matter of when. I mean, as uh, an Italian historian, what I see especially is his um, lack of uh, leadership in Italy itself uh, so Germany, of course, first of all, uh, a majority was Protestant, not Catholic. Um, in Italy, the population was 99% you know, Roman Catholic, 
the Pope himself was a Roman. Virtually all the cardinals of the Curia of the Central Office of the Vatican were Italian. Uh, the war, uh, Italy's entry into the war was not a foregone conclusion. And in fact, there's reason to think Italians were not at all eager to be joining the war at Hitler's side. The doctrine of Aryan supremacy didn't particularly appeal to Sicilians and so on. Uh, and they just fought a, a war against uh, Germany in the First World War, not all that much before. Uh, so the fact that the uh, clergy of uh, and the church organizations of Italy strongly uh, called on Italians to support the declaration of war against Britain and France uh, that Mussolini made in June 10th of 1940, um, you know, this, I think, certainly had a, a big impact. Uh, so certainly um, the lack of speaking out by the Pope did have an impact on the course of World War II. But as you say, it's hard to conjecture what exactly would have happened. Certainly the risk would have been uh, that the Germans would have occupied uh, Vatican City, for example. But that would have come at a great cost to them because they were portraying themselves as uh, the saviors of Christian Europe, the communist hordes. And so uh, they needed to show themselves actually allies of the Christian churches. Okay, understood. Okay, our guest today has been David Kurtzer. He's written a book called The Pope at War, The Secret History of Pope Pius XII, Mussolini, and Hitler, published by Random House. Okay, this is, is this just the next in a series of books, or is this, have you written, this is, this is like you've, you've covered it, David Kurtz. <laughs> well, you know, I wrote, I've uh, written uh, previous books, so one in particular that came out in uh, 2014, I called The Pope and Mussolini, about the lead-up to World War II, so about the alliance uh, between the, uh, the Vatican and uh, Mussolini uh, in, the, in the 20s and 30s. So this, in a way, is, a, I might say, a two-book set in itself. I have been looking uh, last few months in the Vatican archives at the immediate post-war period, which I find interesting, uh, where the uh, Pope is very much involved in the battle to keep communism from Italy and from uh, Europe. Uh, so perhaps there'll be another book there, but uh, we'll have to see. Okay, wonderful. I want to thank you so much for coming on and spending time and sharing insights into the Pope at War, and we wish you uh, continued success, David Kurzer. Yeah, thank you. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Man, Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have up next, this is the Kaufmans. The song is called The Raving, which means everybody's responsible for everybody else. Nobody's an island. Tony, a hook 
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herr Schulterman, you are listening to the Jewish Hour. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is the Y Studs. This is Mahapachal Shel Simcha, which means, uh, I guess, or dance in a circle, being very happy. Let's listen. Oh. 
That was actually Yonatan Stern, and that was Hakol Melamila, Everything is from above. Up now, this is now the Wise Studs. Mahafahal Shel Simcha. גם אם לא מסתדר לך, גם אם לא נראה לך, יש סיבה. יש מי שמסובב אותה, אל תתעלם, רק תתבונן. מה זה מסמן לך? הכל מלמעלה, כל מה שקורה לך מלמעלה, הוא תמיד איתך. ואם תבחר תמיד לא לעצום עיניים, תראה בכל מצב את אבא בשמיים. והוא רואה אותך, והוא אוהב אותך. תמיד שומר מלמעלה, גם אם קצת קשה לך מלמעלה, הוא תמיד איתך, ואם רק תתבונן דקה אחת או שתיים, תראה בכל דבר סימן מהשמיים, והוא רואה אותך, והוא הולך איתך, תמיד שומר מלמעלה. Hey, 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 hey,
ולא תמיד זה קל לראות, הסיבות נעלמות, אבל תזכור, יש מי שמסובב אותן, זה לא אני, גם לא אתה, יש פה השגחה גדולה. בכל מצב שבא לך, כל מה שקורה איתך, רק תדע, יש אבא שדואג לך, תתעלם, רק תתבונן, מה הוא מסמן לך? הכל מלמעלה, כל מה שקורה לך מלמעלה, הוא תמיד איתך, ואם תבחר תמיד לא לעצום עיניים, תראה בכל מצב את אבא בשמיים, והוא רואה אותך, והוא אוהב אותך, תמיד שומר מלמעלה, גם קצת קשה לך מלמעלה, הוא תמיד איתך, ואם רק תתבונן Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-born infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, we'll be reading the portion of Voes Hanan in the synagogues. This portion is, can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and following. And this is part of Moses's farewell address. In fact, we're Moses's farewell address until after the holiday of Sukkot. So we're doing this until October. We'll be farewell addressing. In this uh, portion, in chapter 6, there is the, probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible, and that is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses commanded the Jewish people, which is what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's, a, it's basically, one of the things is, is this uh, recapitulation, of this rehashing of events that occurred. Then there is the listing of mitzvahs. There's like this, most of the mitzvahs have been repeated. This is actually a new mitzvah. It's never been told to the Jewish people till now. And then at the end, so it's like the warnings and the blessings. That's the way it's divided up. So Moses never had to say the Shema. We have a commandment that twice a day, 
once in the morning, once in the evening, we say this paragraph that's a declaration that God is the boss for all intents and purposes, this idea of the oneness of Hashem. Moses didn't need to do that because Moses was living it. Let me give you an example. In the last line of the that paragraph, it says, and you shall bind them as a sign between your uh, sign on your arms and frontless between your eyes, referring to the commandment of tefillin, which Jewish men put on these 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 prayer items, prayer ornaments, every day of the week, Sunday through Friday. They do not, or we do not, do it on the Shabbos because the Shabbos is referred to as a sign between the Jewish people and God. So what's the purpose of a sign? What do you look at a sign for? The sign tells you where, which way to go. So you don't need two signs telling you to go the same way. So during the week, we have the tefillin, which tells us which way we're supposed to be going. And then on Shabbos, we have the Shabbos to tell us which way we should be going. So you don't need two, two things. So Moses didn't need the Shema to feel that God was the boss, that God, was, that God is one. Moses was living it every morning. You can think about it, how, how, how mind-blowing it is. Somebody who was, at this time, who was 39 years old. The Jews have been in the desert for 40 years. This person knows nothing else. If you ask this person, where does food come from? They would say, it falls from the sky. That's like, duh. Because that's what, the, that's what they were living and now, suddenly, those people, Moses isn't doing this. Moses is not crossing the Jordan. Those people will be crossing the Jordan. Suddenly, they're going to find out, oh, by the way, there's this stuff called dirt. And if you want to eat anything, you're going to have to start, you know, mucking around in the dirt. And you're going to have to get yourself dirty. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be the same anymore. But we don't want you to be dirty, we still want you to still have that focus and connection. And I'll give you another example about, let's say, dirt. Dirt doesn't get good, a lot of good PR. It's like people walk on it, it gets wet, gets muddy, people curse at it. It doesn't, you know, people just not into dirt. Most people don't even think. I bet until right now, you didn't even think about dirt today. But dirt has this amazing power you take a seed and let's say you put it into sand what's going to and you water it religiously what's going to happen nothing let's say you take this seed and you take you have uh, uh, metal and you, you grind the metal into a dust and you put the seed into that what's going to happen nothing it could be even let's say you take diamonds diamond dust and you put the seed into diamond dust the most precious <laughs> item in the world diamond dust nothing's going to happen you take the seed you put it into dirt okay the dirt doesn't even have to be on the ground the dirt could be in a little tiny pot and what's going to happen the thing's going to grow it's amazing things we do at jewish ferndale we do all kinds of, of amazing things in, in our community garden and this year we have a patio garden two big emphases this year we're always trying to do 
stuff because it's such a large piece of land we couldn't do it all at once so this year we put in a section of uh, michigan native wildflowers which is way cool and we also put in since we have a patio installed last year we put in a patio garden and yes growing out of this this flower pot are grape tomatoes yes it's absolutely wonderful it's an amazing thing it's a, it's a flower pot and the stuff is growing so let's and where what is this power of of growth so it's talked about in the kabbalah that the power of growth comes directly from the divinity it's an expression of godliness as you can imagine you think about it in those terms it's an energy it's a force that causes growth what are, where else could it be it has to come it comes and in the ways it's described it comes directly from god and is enclosed into dirt. Now, you're not going to see it. You can analyze dirt under the most powerful microscope. You will not see the power of growth. You'll see the effect of the power of growth. And so that's what Moshe was trying to do when here he is, setting up the Jewish people to cross the Jordan. And it is the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but... It's not a land flowing with milk and honey unless you, you do stuff to it. That's the way it is. Blessing, divine blessing has to come only if you prepare. And so the Jews are now going to have to be involved with plowing and weeding and sowing and reaping, harvesting, etc., grinding, and finally, you know, baking and, and whatever before they get their bread. And it's going to be a whole process, but the process from the very beginning is one which is totally and completely permeated by the divineness of God. We are going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Fleming here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. You want to get in touch with me? The way to do that is, well, <laughs> on my website is the contact page. So go to the website. If you're listening on a podcast somewhere, if you're listening on Odyssey or iTunes or, or uh, Stitcher or iHeartRadio or Apple Radio or wherever you get your listen to your, park, your podcasts from, you can switch over and go to RabbiFinman.com. If you're listening on RabbiFinman.com, as soon as you switch, the, the podcast stops. So wait uh, another five minutes and do it then, but don't forget. And contact me, and I'll contact you. You'll also find archived editions of the show. We've had some, thank God, we've had some pretty impressive shows. I can say the guests that we've been gotten, we've, we've managed to to get in the last bunch of weeks has just been, wow, I'm, I've impressed myself even. And I'm not easily impressed. You could ask anybody who knows me. I'm the biggest cynic. But uh, these guests have been pretty amazing. The Also, you'll find there the donations page. You know this part. You've been listening. This is not the first time you've listened, I don't think. 
So we need your help. As Mr. Liebman, who's lived long and be healthy, just described, the show is sponsored primarily by listeners such as yourself. We need your help. We are still a little bit behind, which I saw it's better to be a little bit behind than a big behind. So, uh, but I make this promise that if we get June, July, and August paid off uh, in a timely fashion, then I don't do the pledge and I'll tell the story. And it happened once that we actually did that, and I uh, didn't have to resort to the pledge, uh, the pledge drive. So go to RabbiFinman.com, make it a monthly donation. It's very easy to do. That way you don't have to think about it. Or if you prefer, send your donation via the post to, or you can drop it off even if you're in the neighborhood, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Do it today. This story occurred in Tel Aviv, probably the early 60s. A man came to Aaron, Aaron of Bells, the Belzer Rebbe at the time. The whole story of him getting out of Nazi Germany is miraculous in and of itself. And he spent his last years in Israel, in Tel Aviv. So a man came to him and demanded that he see the Rebbe immediately. So the, the secretary said, the rabbi doesn't see people at this time. You'll have to make an appointment. He says, no, I'm not leaving until I see him. So he said, okay, what's your name? He told him his name. His name is Levi Yitzchak. I don't know the last name. The secretary went in. The rabbi said, we'll see him right now. And he went in, and the secretary commented that he never heard the rabbi yell, but the rabbi was yelling at the guy. guy came out he was totally uh, his eyes were like bloodshot crying he was swollen he was like obviously there had been something that happened over there but he didn't talk at a synagogue somewhere in Tel Aviv different somewhere some other synagogue man shows up who is obviously not a religious person and he comes up to somebody and says, could you tell me where I can find a volume of the Talmud, the first one, Barachot, that talks about uh, davening, how to pray. So they gave it to him, and he said, um, could you point out to me which one, where's Rashi? So someone pointed to him, the uh, small print on the inside column is Rashi, the commentator. And he just like sat there looking at it. And he did this for days, and then... It was on the same page, but finally you could see that he finally, something was happening, and he was getting it. And he would come every single day and sit there for a few hours. And over a period of time, they saw that this non-religious person was becoming more religious. He was growing a beard. He was, you know, sporting the, the kippah, the yarmulke all the time, the, the cap. So somebody went and, and asked him, what, who are you? What's, what's your deal? So he said that he was a, uh, raised in Russia. As a young man, he was raised by his parents who were religious. But the communists took over, Stalin and Makhshimo closed down all the chadorim, all the Jewish schools, and he was left with no religion. And when he came to Israel, he had no religion. He was a secular person. But then he started thinking about his parents and the dichotomy that he felt. He was missing Judaism. And he was contemplating. He said, I can't, I can't live this way. 
He said it was really bothering him so much he was actually contemplating suicide. One night he had a dream that he saw this rabbi, and the rabbi said, don't do anything until you come to me. He woke up. So he went around synagogue to synagogue. He's looking for this rabbi. Finally, he walked into the Belzerstiebel, the synagogue, and he sees the rabbi there. He says, this is the rabbi that I saw in my dream. So he immediately tried to schedule an appointment. When he went in, he told the the, the Belzer Rebbe what he was thinking about, and the Rebbe screamed at him, you may not commit suicide. That is not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is rededicate yourself to your parents' ideals. And to do that, it's through learning Talmud with Rashi's commentary. And he eventually became a happy person. I wish you the same too. Did you be a happy person? And that we hope you've had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.